Hello, I'm Patrick Travis, and you're listening to LA Gear Bites, and I'm here with Michael Manuel, uh, who plays the famous Shakespearean villain Iago, and his pawn helper wife, Amelia, Tanya Verifield, and a new creation of the classic play Othello, playing now at A Noise Within in Pasadena. Othello is the bard's most intimate of family tragedies. Othello is about the terrible forces of love and the breakdown of a man who seems to have everything, power, position, and passion, only to find his world decimated by the intense mind games played upon him by his ensign, Iago, who I'm talking to. I'm Michael Manuel, and I'm playing Iago. And I'm Tanya Verafield, and I'm playing Amelia. Tell me, tell me, uh, what do you think um, sets this production of Othello apart, this reinterpretation, apart from other Othello shows? Uh, uh, you mean because of the non-traditional way that we're doing it? Yes, it's a reinterpretation. What, what's the what really sets it apart? What's uh, what makes this reinterpretation special, in your opinion? Well, I, I think one of the things is that uh, a lot of the uh, roles that are cast generally by um, men are being done by women in this um tani can of course speak to her part i think that what generally happens with somebody that plays the desdemona's handmaid basically um is that they have this there's this power uh that they lose um they they become sort of a servant and a subservient person and in our production, because it's in the military and they're friends, uh, the relationship changes a little bit. It's not quite as um, uh, boss uh, employee. That's one sort of aspect of it. I think setting it in the military is is another, you know, thing that we're doing. Um, we've set it in what reads as Afghanistan, although it's. Um, we still use the same language of Cyprus and, and all of Shakespeare's language. Um, we just tend to, uh, or we're just using, um, we're thinking of it as uh, occupying forces in Afghanistan. Mm. Using the classical language, but, but it's uh, in a more modern context. How do you think that of, of, uh, instead of, instead of changing, changing the language as well, um, how does that affect how the audience, uh, in your opinion, um, experiences the show? Well, I think that there's a, um, when people change the language and try to modernize the language or take, take away all of the um, references and the poetry in order to make it more understandable, I think it makes it less understandable and certainly less beautiful. I think that we underestimate an audience's ability to learn a language because that's kind of what's happening for people that come to a Shakespeare play, especially if they haven't ever been to a Shakespeare play or they've not, they've only done it in high school or whatever, is that the first, the first few minutes, sometimes the first 10 minutes of the play, a lot of times people don't really know what's going on. They're getting used to hearing this and by the end of the play, they, without even realizing it, all of a sudden now they understand. They can understand this new language. And so it's kind of beautiful, actually, to see this sort of transformation, especially when we do student matinees or you do things for people that clearly haven't been to, to Shakespeare before. They have a puzzled look on their face or they're 
they're trying to figure it out. And then at the end, you know, or even in the middle, hopefully, they're, they're uh, you know, they're comfortable and they're, they get it. They're responding exactly the way that they should respond because um, they hear the language and you can, there's a rhythm to it. You know, there's a music to Shakespeare that, that you can feel. And so people like listening to music um, can almost close their eyes and just listen to it and, and hear it and, and, uh, and feel it, you know, cause a lot of times words are onomatopoetic and, and, and they, people, even if you don't know what it means, it sounds like what it should be. And people understand, you know, it's, it's very, it's a fascinating thing because it's English, it's our language, <laughs> but yet it, it feels like a foreign language sometimes. And I'll just say, I mean, as someone who is less um, less of a Shakespeare pro than probably anyone in this production, um, our director, Jessica Kosansky, did an amazing job of making sure that we are speaking in a way that is really, really accessible for that exact audience that Michael was just talking about, who maybe is not as familiar with Shakespeare. And so um, I feel like a lot of the the pressure of wanting to modernize the language was removed because she did such a beautiful job of making sure that we're really, really clear in what we're saying. And like Michael said earlier, which I don't know if we caught it or not, but, you know, since the 1600s, not much has changed as far as human emotions go and how fallible we are and, and all the things that the play addresses. And so in that way, it's, it's just as, pertinent now as it was then so anyway and I think one of the things that we do especially which was really nice you know this rehearsal process is so truncated um you know we had basically three weeks of rehearsal uh which is not a lot for something that's this big and we spent five of the days four or five of the days just sitting at a table so and and a lot of times now, with Shakespeare shows that I do, they don't people don't do a lot of table work anymore just because you don't have time to do it. And in this one, we actually just spent the time sitting there. You know, you read a scene, and then you know, sometimes what people will do is you like put it in your own words, or you break it down so that everybody knows what every word is, what every sentence is, so that we're all telling the same story and we can all understand what each other is saying and doing. All right. Well, um, I think, man, this is so fascinating. Um, what the way you explain it as far as, um, even though it is English, it's our language, how it's, uh, in a way it's another language. So what makes it Shakespeare so interesting and different is when not only are they watching you act on stage, but it's almost like they're, they're 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 not, but they are in a way developing a new language and listening to this new language and starting to interpret a new language at the same time. It's uh now it seems it, it's uh it's it you you kind of it's a uh, it's in a it's not only it's a, not only an acting experience but almost like a cultural experience in a way culturally um a, like like moving with this like in adapting to this language. It's uh it's that's pretty amazing. It's like um. It's, I, I can't think of many, um, you know, films or plays or anything besides Shakespeare and uh, 
where you're where like like the way you're describing it you are being uh you are consciously learning um and becoming con uh, connected i guess with everyone in the audience w with this new language almost almost like you're being thrown into a new community in a way a shakespearean community uh, a, a new uh, an old english community <laughs> I, I wonder I, I wonder if that would be interesting and interest i i mean it flows and it works so well with shakespeare i wonder if you could interpret and move this kind of community kind of language i like theater idea into other areas i don't know if i've ever seen that before but the way you describe it sounds so interesting that this communal thing where where people are are at first not understanding what's going on because the language is so old and different and then all of a sudden everyone is kind of on the same track and 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 it's like oh yeah okay i get what they're saying and wow this language is this poetry this poetic language is so interesting to listen to um compared to if they just like you said they did if they did modernize it and probably if they did modernize it most likely mess it up right yeah i mean i think there's a couple things if you go see opera like i don't understand yeah. italian i don't understand any of that those languages that 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 opera is usually written in but yeah. i can just listen to the sound and look at their faces and it tells exactly what the story is and i've done um I did a show a couple of years ago at the LA Shakespeare Festival where they did it at the, um, you know, they do it at the VA facility in the gardens. And we had a whole section, there were like 500 people there. And on one section, there was a whole section of people that really didn't respond exactly the way that you would think people would. It was midsummer. Yeah. You know, people were laughing and stuff, but, I, I learned later that they were a group of uh, students and people from, I think, uh, Russia. And so they didn't speak, they didn't speak any English at all. So they were there watching the whole play, not, un not understanding a word that we were saying, but you could see from their faces, especially the, the lotsy parts and the, and the, the comedy parts that are, you know, universal. So you're just, everybody's going to laugh, hopefully. Um, and, it, it, but again, it was another sort of uh, lesson about theater and about uh, the community of theater and, and being in a room with people and telling a story and um, that, that, you know, whether it's, you know, a thousand years ago and people are standing around a fire and people are, you know, from different groups of, of a community that don't speak the same language, but yet they have to figure out a way to entertain themselves or um, commune in some way. It's a very communal event. I love that. And Patrick, you were saying that this is a show you're really familiar with. Yes. And one of the best compliments last night, last night was our opening night, by the way which is why yeah. we're tired. Um, <laughs> um, one of the best compliments, and I heard it a few times, were audience members who said that they they know this play well or they've seen productions of it before and that they heard lines that they had never heard before. They understood moments that they had never comprehended before yeah. um, because of the way that we were, you know, sharing it with them. So, um 
Yeah. Oh, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, so um, I just wanted to kind of get into your guys' character a little bit more now. Uh, it's Iago, who is like a huge villain. Uh, I mean, just uh, as far as uh, characters, yeah, different characters being used in like archetype, an archetype character of like the deceiver. Like, yeah. Very clever deceiver. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, the name and the name is even, you know, Go, going into other stuff like you know Disney, you got the Parodiago. Yeah. Like, oh, where did that name come from? Uh, Disney very creative. No, no, Disney was Disney was jocking off Shakespeare. You know, That's <laughs> right. Disney enjoys Shakespeare, and I, mean, I guess they're smart too. There's some good stories there. Um. So, but um. Yeah. My, I, I wanted. To, I want to know. Um. How do you transform yourself into someone like Iago? Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of sort of outside things that I did. Uh, thinking about it, I knew we were going to be in the military, so I watched the Ken Burns documentary of Vietnam, and then I watched a bunch of stuff, Restrepo and some other um, documentary sort of style stuff about people that were in Afghanistan and, you know, just hard stuff to watch. And uh, and then I I read and was listening to a lot of stuff about Ted Bundy. And um, about people that, especially Ted Bundy, like how charming and uh, affable he was uh, for people, and that he just fooled people. And then, but I think at the at the at its core, really, I think that everybody. I mean, this sounds very trite, I guess, but I think that we all have all of these. Uh, feelings and thoughts inside of us and certainly maybe not to the degree that Iago does but I think my, when I when I do this soliloquies a lot of times I'm thinking to myself or, or how I worked it out was saying to someone saying to a friend you know what I'm saying is true you know what I'm saying, you think too. If you allow yourself to actually be honest with yourself, you know what I'm doing is okay. Because you feel this and you think this too. You might not act on it. I'm the one acting on it. But you think about doing it sometimes. And, and if you don't admit that, then you're just lying to yourself. And so it's, it's more about it's more about being uh, okay with showing the worst part of yourself, the embarrassing, um, vulnerable part of yourself that feels uh, inadequate or less than. And, um, and I think that those little things, the little things that, that, that you pick up you know, things that make you jealous or things that make you angry, they aren't always these huge events. Sometimes they're a buildup of teeny little things that happen and then they sort of fester inside you. And how it comes out sometimes is, you know, could be like a big ugly argument or it could be physical or it could be, I mean, there's lots of ways that it manifests itself, but the 
genesis of it is, I think, for a lot of people, the same. Um, it comes from some small thing or something that you've built up, that you've created a story for yourself of what this situation is. Hmm. So you def- your your approach, Tiago, is definitely one of uh, nuance where he, he's not just uh, just this evil evil man that just popped out of nowhere and now I I'm, and now and I have these evil thoughts and I and I want to do it. But this is a person that over over decades or time of time because of little small things, who knows what sooner or later it twisted him to a point where where he becomes the character he is. In, in in Othello is is that what yeah you're yeah 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 I think so and I mean of course it's the language I mean this is his language Iago's language is very um, technically it's very complex in that when he goes in and out of verse into prose the sounds the consonant sounds that happen there are a lot of times where there are a lot of s's in a row. Um, and the S's, you know, people have, you know, written things about like, oh, that makes him a snake, you know, which that's not, you know, it's not ridiculous. But I mean, there's lots of different things, the way that the the vowel sounds are put together with the consonants. I mean, there's a lot of weird technical things when you look at the language technically, what he's what Shakespeare did to create the sort of uh, map of of his mind. Mm hmm. Um, do you think you you brought up a serial killer Ted Bundy? Um, would um, well you were you were saying because he he was so charming and he, he could convince people about things. But do you think um, Iago would fall maybe in a in a similar? He wasn't a serial killer, but would you think he would fall into the, maybe that same category of what maybe causes some people to become serial killers or go into uh, a dark path like that? Do you think they have similarities, or, or does the similarity stop at they're both they were just very charming and deceitful people? I think charming and deceitful people, but there's a there's a I mean I think it's that there's a point that some people push things to a point where you you but that normal whatever normal is normal people don't do that people have a stop that they might feel that they want to do this thing or they feel like i want to fucking kill this person or whatever you know but you don't really you're not really going to do it it's just a feeling that you have and then there are people that allow that to happen and and maybe they do it and they feel like, wow, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. And that then it becomes this, I think for somebody like Ted Bundy, you know, I mean, that's, I, I don't know a lot about that kind of stuff, but it seems that it's, uh, you know, it's that sort of snake eating itself. It's just sort of like, it keeps, you know, it's feeding, you're feeding on this same thing. That's this really, uh, horrible thing and you're never going to be sated you know you're always going to be hungry so mm. yeah interesting um be- can i brag I- on michael for a yeah. second please 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 i was i was about to get to you but i want to i want to hear what you have to say about this for sure okay yes. so i just want to say that um you know he has this ability to make i think the audience agrees so far the audience has seen the show and i know for myself playing his wife he has this ability to 
charm and ask for things in such a way that I never, even at the end, I, I it's hard for me to think of him as a villain. And um, I think it's what he was saying about there's this threshold that we all walk around with of wrong and right. And, and when we pass that threshold for ourselves, we have a the capability to decide whether we're going to continue in that direction or not. And mm -hmm. I just think that the way that he does it, um, he just puts this like pure intention into everything in the play that makes me think like, I agree with him. Oh, this is what he needs to do, you know? And I mean, obviously I don't, I'm not able to play that because I don't know what's going on till the end, but that's what it that's what it feels like i think for everybody else who's relating to him um throughout the show and it's just it's really really beautiful to see someone who we think of as a villain just be a human being who's going through these experiences that forces him into this you know decision making um anyway i don't know if that makes sense but he's doing beautiful work which is why we don't don't think of him as a villain in this show very much. That's an interesting perspective going in doing this show and come going into it and uh, not ex not thinking of him as a villain because you I would think that that would that definitely be one of the main things. He's he seems for to my, in my perspective after seeing some production he seems like a clear villain in this story. But to approach it as he's not a villain and to see it that way and to act it out. I'm sure that must affect some uh, in some ways how you're um, playing the character and how the character's coming out. So that's that's definitely an interesting um, approach in, in, the th in the thought process. Um, as far as your Tanya, as far as you playing Amelia, um, after you've played this character and you and you played it so far, you said you just did your show and you've played, you've been practicing and getting it ready for for I'm I'm sure probably weeks or months for this pr production. Um, how um, how how do you, has it changed your perspective on how you've seen how you saw Amelia now that you've played the character? Um, ha, have you has your mind been changed um, now that you've played her? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I didn't have a lot of um, preconceived notions about her going into it because of the particular um, modernization that Jessica was going for. Um, so I knew that Amelia was going to be in the army and I knew that that, you know, changed my relationship to Desdemona. Um, but I didn't really have a lot of ideas about who she was and, um, and what her marriage to Iago looked like. And um, it was really through the rehearsal process and, you know, seeing how Michael was bringing Iago to life and um, that's when everything really fell into place for me I think playing Amelia um, because I I just could really relate to this idea of you know being so madly in love with someone and wanting to please them and also just being a good person you know and becoming friendly with this woman and seeing her heartbreak with her husband, you know, Othello just accusing her of these things that are 
just so not true and and still feel this loyalty to my husband that I would never ever you know tell anyone what I had done for him um even if it seemed to be causing a lot of problems um and I I think that's also a reason why I don't see him as a villain because I can't like I have to love this man so truly and fully and believe that you know anything he would ask of me would be for our benefit um and so I don't know I've had a lot of fun playing this role it's a, definitely a role I never ever thought I would play I auditioned originally for Desdemona and um and I'm so glad that I'm playing Amelia I just I love coming in at the end of the play and just telling the truth and letting that lead to whatever the consequences may be which obviously is my death but um just getting to do that and getting to be the the voice of reason and standing up to all those men in that room um and i think full well knowing that i'm you know at risk of losing my life and it doesn't matter anymore you know because the truth has to be told and i've made a terrible error and <laughs> i need to make it right you know so mm -hmm. it's a Hopefully something I'll never experience in real life, but definitely fun to play. Oh, nice. Uh, what, uh, what's a challenge? Did you have any, uh, what do you say was a, a challenge in um, really uh, capturing this character, Amelia, for you? For you? Um, I think the hardest part, honestly, was that this is, I think, something I would never do. Okay. Like, I just. I feel like when when I do something even slightly wrong, I'm like the first person to go tell on myself or try to fix it or try to take it back. And so it's really it was really hard for me to understand as loyal and loving a wife as she is, how she could possibly see the beginning of things unraveling and just keep it to herself. Like I I guess I have a big mouth. I don't know, but I could not, you know, like I, I, my moral compass is stricter <laughs> with me than I think it is with Amelia. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's probably been that and just being in the military, which has been really fun, but also feels like <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, but you're, you're, I think that's interesting because she's in, but you, and what, what makes it interesting is, um, this the, this whole idea that you keep you guys are using putting it in the military i think uh this is a this is this that, i think that might have been a smart move as far as especially when you're making it turning it into a more modern place because like you were saying you your 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 compass um is saying no i i i wouldn't do that as someone who's a more maybe more of a modern woman and if it was set in modern times and you were and it was set with more of a modern woman you're probably you're probably right more women would probably speak up now than they would have back then but i guess in a way the military is is this own its own kind of situation and it, it, it's a lot stricter and a lot more regulated for reasons because it's the military but i guess you could make a correlation with 
oh, this, the military is a kind of controlled um, kind of ecosystem, like kind of ecosystem or community. And so was how, that's how it was also in a similar way, um, obviously different, but back then, um, and, uh, you know, for, for the people that are in the military, because you have to follow ranks and you have to be very, uh, you know, um, you, have, you have to respect the person in charge and all of that stuff. And there's certain things you shouldn't do and you can't do, or, you know, you'll, you'll be let go. Um, so, so I, I think it's, it's interesting that you say that so, because, um, because I think your character would probably be, uh, wouldn't be able to say or have as much freedom to say stuff if they're in the military because for, because of certain things, you know? Yeah. Um, we talked about that a lot about, yeah. um, you know, in the situations where I'm standing up to Othello, like, yeah. you know, how, what would that really look like to stand up to a general? Um, <laughs> right. and, and yeah, and we took that into consideration, like when Othello slaps Desdemona, um, you know, what, what would people do? How would they react? Would anybody really have stood up to him? Um, and we agreed, no, you know, we would go and try to file a report, but nobody would actually say anything to him. Um, and, you know, I think that does, um, being in the military and in that environment, I think it does change also, like, how quickly Amelia would say anything. So there was a lot there were a lot of layers there, um, which have been really fun. And who knows? I mean, that's why I'm an actor, right? So I can yeah. pretend I'm somebody else who would do all these things or not do all these things and see how that's it all it. plays out. But every time I do it, I die at the end. So I don't know. I might switch yeah. it up one of these days. <laughs> Jess, what does director Jessica Kubzanski bring to the production? How, how was it like working with her? Um, Jessica's great. I've worked with her, I don't know, maybe three or four times. And then I've done some readings and stuff with her. She's really open. She, mm -hmm. uh, she's very smart and, um, she has ideas uh, about how she wants to do things, but she is a confident enough director that she allows her actors to, um, to 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 be creative and have their own voice and and have the group figure out the things that we want to do um and so you know sometimes you get into situations where directors will sort of say this is how it is this is what i, I want you to do and uh you know just figure out a way to do it and jessica's really open and uh, allows for everyone's opinion and not just the people with all the lines, um, but everybody, because it's, you know, this is, is, you know, here's another one of those sort of trite things like that. There's no small parts, but there really aren't because everybody contributes to what the world is. And it's important that everybody's voice is heard and everybody has an opinion about about what is happening, even in scenes that don't concern them, just because we're all telling the same story together and that it's important that we do it as a group. And Jessica allows and creates an environment where people feel comfortable and, um, and like they have a voice. 
She makes it such um, a collaboration of minds, I think. And partly, you know, in addition to just being brilliant and having this beautiful vision before we even started, she's such a loving human being. And one of the Mm -hmm. ways I feel at least, and this is my first time working with her, And everyone I knew who'd worked with her told me I was going to have this great experience. So I had very high expectations. (laughs) And she talks so much about the difficulty of telling this particular story and the inherent racism and all the issues that we are, you know, just bringing to light. And, um, And she talks all the time about how important it is to do this work with good human beings And so, you know, she's constantly loving on us and telling us how great we are and how much she loves us. And, you know, just I have never once, I think, made it through an entire rehearsal process without feeling like a total moron at at least some moment. And I did not feel that way this time. Like there were no dumb questions. She wanted to hear from everybody. Um you know, and the only, I think the only tragedy of it was we didn't get more time to rehearse and spend time with her. And, um, you know, at the end, this last week was suddenly all rushed. Like we went from tech into dress and previews and, um, and just didn't get a lot of like one-on-one time with her anymore. But, um, it's been, I mean, I've had such a good time. I, it's the first time in a long time where I'm, bummed out that the rehearsals are over and now we're just performing (laughs) yeah um i think i i I really think um well like nothing is there's no such i don't believe there's anything as perfect but i think this i this this idea that um that every part is every part's important um i think there's there's some real there is some real strong truth in that and i but but with with a caveat it's like um i feel like there's plenty and i'm not talking about shakespeare it happens in shakespeare sometimes but actually less i think in shakespeare um but i think like this this idea of if you can take a character and completely rip that character out of the story and it doesn't affect much or change anything it almost, it, you know, it almost feel, it almost feels like that character maybe didn't even need to be there in the first place. And, but, mm-hmm. but you very, very much so, like in Shakespeare, it's very hard to go to a Shakespeare and say, "Oh yeah, I could take this character out." You take that character out, you take Amelia out, even though she has a smaller part in the in in the, the whole thing. You take her out, and that changes a a big amount of what's going on in Othello. You take out almost any character in Othello and something really bad things. These characters are very carefully thought out and they're very uh, put into, put in there. And you're like, I know this is a strong character because I couldn't take this character out. If I took this character out now, it's a different story now. I'm, and, and it's, and you know, uh, too often I'm, I would say uh, you can, I think you can do that with a lot of plays. If you really think about it, you know, go past the surface level and start, going into scripts, uh, you know, and you're, you're looking at these characters and you're like, oh, yeah, um, that guy was talking about blah, blah, blah. Uh, did he have to be there? I don't know. If he was there, I wouldn't have missed him. 
I would have missed the character. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't contribute much at all. Maybe maybe it was a, a quick laugh, but uh, it could have that time maybe would have been more efficient um, to flesh out the, uh, uh, another character's storyline more. And now we wasted time on this character that didn't need to exist. So I think there's I think there's some some uh, truth in this in this even though you, I, I I know what you're saying when you say it's trite this idea that there's a part that uh, every part's important, but I think when writing is done um, in a very I guess an economical way in a very uh, uh, basically putting putting yourself uh, making the production about the story uh, I think. Um, Every part really does matter when, when 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 you're talking in that in that you know in that situation. Yeah, I think though in in this case, sort of what I'm talking about too with the Shakespeare is that you know because we have kings and generals and people in charge, you need people in order to make that person the king. You know, mm, so yeah. even though you've got these characters that don't say much or they're you know whatever they, they're they're supernumeraries you need those people because you need them in order to create the world mm -hmm. and without them you don't have the world you just right. have people talking yeah i'm nothing without my soldiers i love the guys playing our soldiers they're yeah. so yeah lovely and bring so much to our to our show um yeah each and every one of them so i agree with that the world building, the world building. That's and that's that's a that's another. Well, that gives you that like like you like we were talking about. Uh, even though they're not talking a lot, they still they they they're giving. There's a good adequate reason for them being there. Um, you know to that to re, to really make the to to uh, what you're talking about. It sounds like these characters are good for creating authenticity. Like because uh, you could have just like three or four people acting, but if you're talking about a kingdom, oh, where are their soldiers? Where uh, you know, to to really make it feel that way. I, I completely I completely get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And our Othello, uh, Wayne T. Carr, who is just lovely. Wayne T. Carr. <laughs> he always talks about how um, this taking on this, you know, powerful role has been easy because the cast treats him like he's a general. <laughs> you know, and he's semi joking, yeah. but we do. We all, you know, sort of um, give him that that place and so i think a lot of a lot of what we do off stage is building the world that you see on stage so we opened last night which was february 16th and we are running in rotating rep with two other brilliant shows argonautica and the glass menagerie um, until april 28th but don't come the evenings of March 7th, 8th, or 9th because I won't be in the show. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 